Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. that time of the week again, the Rugby League Rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing, the NRL Tour. Welcome to the third episode of the fifth and last podcast. This week on the show, we'll obviously be going through four more teams, the Warriors, the Cowboys, the Parramatta Eels, and the Penrith Panthers, plus all the trial results and news and gossip. But before that, we had a pre-recorded interview over the weekend with Nick Tedeschi. He's a freelance sports writer and also the creator of Making the Nut website, which gives insight and opinion to politics, life, and sport. So sit back and enjoy this interview we had with Nick during the week, and we'll come back after that with our first two previews of the teams for 2013. So we're joined now by Nick. Nick, how are you doing? Very well, boys. How are you? Pretty good, mate. Pretty good. Ready for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, mate. You know, it's a big weekend of footy. We've got the Charity Shield and a few other club games, mate. So very, very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's heating up, in it? It's that time of the year. Um, Got to love it. Footy's back. Absolutely, mate. We were just talking about uh, getting a fancy footy draft on next weekend, so it's that time of year, mate, where it gets very, very exciting. Yeah, for us footy nerds, anyway. So absolutely. <laughs> All right, tell us a little bit about yourself, Nick. Obviously, you've got your you've got your website, making the nut. Um, you've put out an almanac, um, which was launched on Wednesday, I believe. That's right. Um, yeah, Warren Smith launched yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, a good, a good fun night out, uh, out at the Alexandria Hotel. Well, yeah, look, I've been a, a rugby league writer, sports writer for uh, seven or eight years now. Uh, I've worked in the betting industry a little while, and then uh, I've got sports writing work for a company called Pony Ace, and I've uh, been uh, working on various organisations in the AFL to, um, to yeah, writing books and, uh, and editing books and the like. So, I've uh, got a couple of websites, back page lead, making them up. Uh, work like the footy almanac, crikey, and uh, just have uh, a couple of new books out now. Edited the uh, the footy almanac as we discussed, and the the pun of God the twenty thirteen season. Okay, can you tell us a little bit a little bit about the almanac? Like I know for me, when I sort of heard about it, I didn't know too much about it, but obviously now I've read it, had a flick through it. It's, it's Really good. I, I liked it. I found it very insightful. But for the for the listeners, can you just fill them in on, on what the almanac is? Absolutely. Look, it's uh, John Harms, uh, who a lot of people would know, is a famous sports writer and uh, in Australia, uh, run the AFL version of this uh, for five years. And what it is is it's fan based writing. So every game, every game in the season is uh, is covered. But a uh, fan writes, uh, I guess, essentially a match report. But there is no way any kind of objectivity in it. It's written from the heart, written from the soul. It's you know, it's all laid out on the all laid out on the uh, on the on the page and. Look, we've had some, had some great reports this year. That first year doing it, it's come up a treat. It's, uh, we've gone from 
kind of very very sad to a shark man who who was at uh, at the storm game uh, and watched them go down the bell again. So uh, you know the the, the joy of the, the Rabbitohs fans last year and, and you know everything in between. So it uh, covers every game. A lot of extras. We were, we were lucky enough to get Roy Masters to to write an essay for us. Actor William McInnes wrote an essay. Thomas Keneally contributed to the book and. Uh, as well as your general fans, you've got people uh, Steve Mascord who also wrote the book. So it's a uh, it, it's a it's a pretty big time. If you want a good record for season 2012, get your hands on that, and uh, we'll be going around again in 2013. Yeah, happy days. I, I as you said, I I'd, I'd endorse that. Um, I had a flick through it and found it really useful. Another one I I ran into at the newsagent last year actually, the punters guide. Um, me and a mate at work who have got a little punters club going, we we found it very handy. Um, is that your second year of releasing the punters squad, Nick? Well, it's the second year in hard copy. It's the third year it's, uh, it's been done. We uh, started in uh, uh, season 2011, uh, just on Evil, and uh, last year got picked up by publisher, and we're, we're out here. We're, we're finding out the format uh, tweaked right after three years. And, and look, it's, uh, it's, it's called the punters guide. I wanted uh, a lot of betting information, no, no doubt. It, it's really a, just an alternative way of looking at how I mean, that was probably the thing that attracted me to it. You know, the, the fact that it's independent, it's independently writ, um, it's, it covers all angles, as you said. It's got a little bit about, um, obviously, the makeup of the sides, the recruitment, overall assessment, um, likely starting teams, depth, blue chip players, um, coach rating. Some of the statistics, I found the um, metres per point statistic. That's, um, as, you, as it says in here, it's um, going to some of the stuff that the American sports are obviously doing and. Um, I found it very, very interesting. So, um, well, we'll so, look, I'm a big fan of the, uh, uh, the American sports statistics, and I think that uh, uh, you know, rugby league, we're very kind of just starting in our numbers. There's a lot of stories that can be told in, that, in those numbers. And you know, last year, the punters guide uh, recommended the, the Storm for the Premiership and the Eels for the Wooden Spoon. I think they paid 15 to 1 the Eels. So, yeah. um, you can find a lot in this stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the just for an example, one of the key stats we look at this year is. Uh, Recording close games, and, yeah, close games are, are very kind of much reliant on luck. And teams who have had an exceptionally good record in, in uh, close games tend to come back to the field a bit next year. So, so teams like South Sydney and, and Manly are, are teams you you know possibly overachieved a little bit last year, and the, the, the true rating uh, of the team probably was a little bit overestimated. So we might see them not perform as strongly this year, which is uh, uh, hopefully something that will tell them as we go on through the years. Hopefully we'll. Uh, uh, I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm a very big fan about the betting information, I can tell you that much, so it's been very useful in that, but there's a stat in here that also I was pretty keen on, which was also the amount of games lost to rep football and injury, that's uh, something that a lot of people I suppose would kind of read over every year and, and not think too much about, but I think that's you know really going into depth, so I found the punters guide outstanding. Yeah, look, absolutely, look, something like injury and suspension, well... Yeah, team. I think four quarterly. Yeah, we've got two stats in there. We've got 
uh, uh, for the overall team for the starting 13, the strongest 13, and we've got for the, the strongest key position players, you won six, seven, and nine. And, and if, you, if you take a, a heavy blow in either of those, you, you, know, you can expect to suffer a downturning performance. And, and contrarily, if, you, if, you've, uh, if you've overachieved, like someone like South Sydney hardly lost the game over their key position players last year, and, and they did well. And, and you know that, that kind of luck obviously can't be relied upon. You expect to kind of average out over a period of time. So that's I guess another cross against uh, the Bunnies this year. Most definitely. And uh, something else we'd like to talk to you about, obviously, is the ACC report. And uh, what are your thoughts on this? It's obviously been a couple of weeks now, and still the trigger got pulled on the first day that it was the darkest day in sport. And Kate Lundy, a week later, obviously come out and changed her words, saying it was a turning point, but we're still yet to hear anything. Uh, look, I, yeah, I, I think it's an absolute disgrace, to be perfectly frank. It, uh, 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 it's just really nothing more than a, a beat-up from a government who, who was stupidly called around on the election that uh, falls right in the middle of footy finals and they quickly realise they've got no traction and uh, is looking to uh, to distract from a pretty ordinary performance. Uh, look, I, I, have, I have no problem. I'm all for going hard at, uh, at drug cheats in, in the games. But to, to let this all to, to, to match fixing, to not name names, to, to slay the club. We've seen Quinella have struggled to get yeah, sponsorship. They've always battled with sponsorship and now they had pretty advanced negotiations and uh, lower reports and and, back, and the sponsors are back to I, I can't, I can't cop that. That this is so endemic in, in Australian sport. Yet no names can be mentioned. We've got no evidence of, of shame. And, and here we are, a couple of weeks later, after the supposed darkest day of Australian sport. No one's been arrested. No one's been you know, labelled a drug cheat. But I, I, I am sure that there, that there are uh, a player, and I wouldn't even be surprised if there was a club who was systematically uh, uh, chasing down uh, some kind of advantage through through drug abuse. But I would be shocked if there were a majority of clubs in the game, if there was more than a handful of, of players who were deliberately doing it. I, I just find it astonishing that the, the whole sport, uh, and our sport, and, and of course other sports as well, have, have, have copped this. It's uh, it's pretty ordinary from mine, and uh, I'd, I'd be ashamed if I was Kate Lumpy and, and, and all those... Uh, all that lot uh, who stood at the press conference. Yeah, and I, I reflect back to probably the main point you made there, and that's the the fact that they haven't named names in the clubs that have been dragged in. You've obviously mentioned that the Sharks are struggling to find a stadium sponsor right now. I, I said in our last podcast about Neil Henry saying that they're not too sure about what angle they're going to take or if they can take legal action, but they will be looking to. Um, Craig Bellamy said that the whole comp now is under a cloud just because of the clubs that have been named and no one has been even... Uh, had anything put against them yet, they've all been tarred with the same brush. So the, the whole game of rugby league has really been put under the cloud. It's not just the clubs that were named, and this report still hasn't delivered anything. So it is quite frustrating. Absolutely. Well, I'll take a, a bit of a issue on, on this issue and, and really go hard at, uh, at this. And, and, and you know, they've all seen the reports and they can't speak well. You know, they've got to push hard for names to be named or you know, the, uh, the, the code to be cleared. 
in rugby league and Australian sport at the moment. I just don't think it is uh, at all fair to uh, to come out and, and say this is a, a, an issue and not in any name and not not that late way class. I, I just can't. Yeah, it's, it, it seems, it's very odd, isn't it? I mean, I've, you know, followed sport all my life and I've, I can't remember a story or an issue um, such as this. It's it's mind-boggling. The timing, the timing makes no sense in terms of, you know, the fact that they've, they've had nothing to really follow it up with. Um, it's just left a lot of people scratching their head and they've left themselves open to the criticism that they're copying, I think. Oh, absolutely. Look, I, I don't, uh, I don't think they can blame themselves for this. It's, uh, it, it's pretty clear that uh, uh, it was done for another reason than political grandstanding. And, uh, and to me, even if, even if there is uh, something coming out of this, you know, the next three or four, it won't justify the, the, the five or six week period where innocent people were were unfairly slandered by this. So well, I, I'd like to see that the, the Cowboys and, uh, and other clubs who have been partially treated to uh, stand up and, and fight this. Yeah, well, I know. I, we had a meeting at Penrith on, uh, I think it was on. It was on Tuesday, actually, and we, every member of the club, um, every employee was called into into Panthers, and it wasn't a major meeting. Obviously, the people from Asada were there, and they just went through obviously the the rights of the players and, and things like that. But it's, you know, I thought Penrith were having a really really good off season, and this is just throwing a spanner in the works for a side that that didn't really need this distraction heading into the season. I mean, poor old Gus, you know, for the last sort of two weeks, he's. You know, look pretty stressed out with all of this, and I, and I mean, the accusations that, or the reason why Penrith have been implicated into this report, are, are prior to obviously him coming into the club, prior to him and Ivan, um, Matthew Cameron, all these guys coming to the club, so it must be a really frustrating time for them. Um, and I know it's it, it has obviously it's going to be a little bit of a distraction to them heading into the season. You know how that then affects their uh, performance is yet to be seen, but. Um, it, it's got to be frustrating for clubs like that. Oh, it's got to be really difficult. Look, I'm telling you, the one of the people who are coming out and they'll have it on this matter. But I'm talking about the Panthers, who are, who are yeah, yeah, pretty much got an entire new first-grade team in there. They've recruited something like 16 first-graders into the squad. Uh, the rest are, are, are young fellows. There are not too many uh, old hardheads who have been there a while. You know, it's, it's Right. Just on that, what what, uh, what teams have you cast your eye over and thought that uh, will be the strongest in the NRL this year? Yeah, look, I think Melbourne are, uh, without question, the strongest team in the Premiership this year. They've uh, uh, got the best coach. They've got an incredible side. And the one thing with the Storm is you, you just know they're... Uh, you know what you get with them. Uh, every week they, uh, they turn up. They've got uh, uh, players who... who uh, have their roles very much simplified by Craig Bellamy and they go out and do the job. That's what you need from them. You, know, you don't need superstar front rollers when you've got Brian Norrie doing what he needs to do. You don't need superstar outside backs when you've got someone like a, a Will Chambers doing what they need to do. So we'll be far away the best team in the comp. Uh, on the next level, I think Canterbury, uh, yeah, they could be there again. I'd uh, love to see them go one better as a, as a Bulldogs man, but I think they've got a bit of work too and they're a bit more of a, an unknown than... than uh, than, than the Storm. Um, for me, the, the, the two Smokies, the two teams I think will finish yeah, in the top four or five uh, are, are the Broncos and and then Newcastle. I think both are, are very much undervalued this year. Um, they are yeah, 
the, the Broncos are a, a very good side, top to bottom. Uh, a bit of a worry that they're outside backs in terms of uh, uh, injuries again, but they've got some good young kids. This Jordan Carr is going to be something uh, uh, special, and we haven't seen him yet, but he'll uh, he'll take the lead by a storm this year. And, and the Knights, well, they've got Wayne Bat. Everyone forgets that uh, they, had, they lost their uh, star player, Kurt Gilly, all, all last year. Italy is as uh, important to the Knights as Andrew Jones was for a month by the time. Yeah, with him back in the score and a bit of toughness with Jeremy Smith, uh, David Fayolongo on both squads, we'll probably right up there again, yeah, I agree with the Knights. I've got a question mark over the Broncos just based on their halves for me. Um, you know, great forward pack, good outside backs, young sort of team. But I've been a Gold Coast fan, I guess. I wasn't disappointed to see Scott Prince go, I must be honest, um, for the cash that he was chewing up on the Gold Coast. Um, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. You know, the times on... on and then he wasn't getting a lot with John Carroll either, which was, you know, a... Uh, say that I need to buy you a beer now after the rap you gave Melbourne, but then you said you're a Bulldog supporter, so now I'm heartbroken. <laughs> I apologise for last year's grand final, though. <laughs> I, uh, I did live down in Melbourne for, uh, for four or five years, and uh, it's too many games down there. I do have very much a soft spot for uh, Billy Aiken and the Storm Boys down there, so uh, yeah, well, it, was, well, it was heartbreaking to lose the grand final last year. No other side I would have been uh, happy to lose to. Yeah, well, on the flip side of that, I think uh, I've said on the previous podcast that I think the Bulldogs will win the comp, and I put Melbourne to come probably fourth or fifth. I think this year uh, we just lost a few too many first-grade players uh, depth-wise, not so much that they're, they're superstars, but I think we're just a bit too young in the tooth this year. Yeah, look, that's interesting. Uh, as, a, as a Storm, I, I think that um, I think the addition of Junior Sauer is going to be an absolute boon for you. For the Storm, I think that's... Uh, I think he'll, he'll go great going to the field. I think he's exactly the same kind of player as, as Dane Nielsen. I don't think he'll lose much there. Oh, you know, it's always good to have a couple of young outside backs. But the forward pack, I guess, is the worry. You, you know, losing a Shikamano and Todd Lauder, you could probably do with a, another kind of hard-headed, hard-headed, uh, hard-headed forward bit of size about him. But uh, um, well, I think I'd be, I'd be shocked if the Storm went there without following the ship. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. Big, big statement, but I actually said that as well when we, we previewed the Storm on last week's show, and I feel better about them this year than what I did last year, to be honest with you. I, I My only concern would be, obviously, if one of the big three goes down, then, you know, there's the the alarm bells will be ringing, but other Absolutely. than that... Yeah, when, I, when, uh, when do we need the big three ever go down? Yeah. The final went down for seven weeks last year, the Storm went 1-6 over that period. Yeah. But Cooper Conk hasn't missed the game to injury since he's, uh, since he took over from that orphan. And when you're talking about that little period last year when, when Slater went down and they went 1-6, and six, I, I, at the time I was saying to Lewis, get on now because, I mean, the odds just blew out. Um, and I, 
you know, I thought it was probably the best thing that could have happened to him because the way Slater played at the back end of the year, it gave him a rest during the middle of the year. <laughs> Absolutely, you're not wrong at all there. It's, uh, uh, he, he was sensational. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that uh, Bellamy would become a bit more, I guess, more liberal with, uh, with resting players. For, for, for mine, the, the, the real key of the storm last year was they've always had a good, a, a good defensive record and defence is what they've built this kind of dynasty on. But they added a whole new brand of attack last year. They were not only the best defensive team in the cop by a long way, they were the best attacking team in the cop by a long way. So I, I just, I can't, yeah. They have to be a lot more wrong this year for it to go on. And the only way to take a measurement at the end of the year is to, yeah, do a shimmy we can all go right for real, obviously it won't, but uh, the only way you can kind of get a, a grip on things is, is to assume uh, all things will be even. And oh, I don't know, yeah, they've got a pretty big gap for the second team, I think. As a Bulldogs fan, I just want to ask you about two people. Do you think that uh, David Clemmer and Johnny Siler will feature at all for you guys this year? Because I uh, thought that David Clemmer might get an opportunity now with uh, Graham obviously being suspended for the first 10 games and Corey Payne and a few others leaving. Oh, look, I think David Clemmer will be uh, on the bench in, in week one. And always he's got big wraps on him. He's a, he's a big, bulky kind of kid. He's going to get better. And we changed with Graham now for... Yeah, he'll probably miss the first... Uh, Eight or nine weeks this, this, this season. Uh, uh, Graham was those uh, trial matches, counter suspensions, and well, Clemmer could really establish himself by then. And, and he might knock out a, a Greg Eastwood or a Dale Finnecane or someone else on the, the bench spot when Graham gets back. So it's, uh, oh, I think he'll have a big, big year. Yeah, and you got any thoughts on Johnny Siler? Look, he's a, he's, a, he's a kid on the up, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know if we'll see him just yet. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw him and I said this to Brock, his jersey was that tight it crinkled up and I thought the two was an eight. <laughs> he is a very large winger and I, I, after that I was like, quite amazed. It's ridiculous how big wingers and centres are these days. It's, uh, it's astonishing that, uh, that you get these, these big boys. Uh, you, you see the big boys and you see the, the likes of Paul, Steve Turner and, and James Upnerds and you wonder how they do it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, moving on, what do you think are the teams this year that are going to struggle? Uh, well, everyone, everyone wants to tell you that uh, Parramatta are a team on the up with uh, with Ricky Stewart going there, but I can't cop it. I think. Uh, <laughs> no, we're, 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 <laughs> I think. Uh, I think that uh, okay, I'm fit, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, Fourth or fifth they're totally agree. Mate, the one yeah. thing that I just absolutely cannot get over is Darcy Lussick was their, their big solution to the front row problem. They've re-signed Fui Fui Moimo, who's 33 years old. He's a bit hot and cold, but he has a better go, so I suppose they didn't really have too many options. And the other problem is they can't get anyone to get attracted to go there. It's, it's Years at the Sharks, and his last couple of years at the Chooks, 
was, was shocking. I don't, you know, I don't think he got his side out of the, the bottom four for all those attacking indicators. So, uh, and, and the Eels, yeah, they're the issue last year. They, they couldn't score points. So, um, I'm not entirely sure you know, how your know, you know, three-quarter line of, of Ken Theo, Chase Blair, Willie Tonner and Ryan Morgan's going to cause too many issues out there. It will very much have to be on the package of Parramatta doing it. I, I agree. Um, my big issue with Parramatta, and I've been saying this for three or four years, I think their biggest issue is nine. I, I've got to be brutally honest. I think they've got no variation out of nine. Nothing against Matt Keating personally, but I just don't think he's, he's the right guy, the right fit at, at Parramatta. That's why I think Penrith are really a side on the up because James Seguiaro, I think he'll give them that spark out of nine this year and Kingston will, Kingston will be fresh. It'll be interesting to see how they play that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're both in the field at one stage uh, uh, with maybe Kevin Kingston going back to a little defender lock roll and Seguiaro uh, kind of coming on at the back end of, a, back end of the, the first half and giving some punch because he's a live wire. I think... Uh, I think Ivan Cleary will be the, the right kind of coach to, to get him playing with a bit of discipline. So, well, I, I don't think Penrith are going, going places this year, but I think you can really lay the, 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 the platform to, to really kind of build on something for the future. I think that uh, there's, there's, you know, there's no superstar players. You can good old guys like Lewis Brown, uh, Dean Vare, all these kind of just good, honest players who are crying out for a chance. And, you know, you'll soon sort the weeds from the chaff there. And, I think that'll be a good foundation for when you can find a few superstars in two or three years' time. Most definitely. I just want to go back to the point you made before about the, the hookers at most of the clubs and also make the point that like South Sydney have got Isaac Luke, but the best thing you can do when you do have a good hooker is also try and mould somebody in that culture. And they've not only got that with Isaac Luke and then they've got Nathan Peets who's a good backup nine, but their under-20s hooker is exactly in the same mould and been killing at the trials, AP Coruscant. And I think Parramatta would be better served, take an example from a club like that or the West Tigers or and Melbourne who are, are, are moulding these players or, or your Brisbane moulding a, a McCulloch who's come up in the first grade and buying a hooker, going out on the market and getting a half-decent hooker and then looking to mould them through the up. Absolutely. You, ju- you just can't be in the modern game. You can't be in the modern game anymore and compete without a hooker. No, absolutely, absolutely right. You can't do that hooker and you can't do that fullback. Uh, a good hooker, 
Yeah, whether you, yeah, yeah they'll, they'll go out and they'll spend all the money in the world chasing where we're at, and there's no way he'll go across. He'll, he'll stay, he'll sign on the tie, he'll no risk, and, and they'll be embarrassed once more, and the more this goes on, the more embarrassment and stuff, the more, the, the less chance there is of someone wanting to go there, so, well, they're killing know, their cap as well, aren't they? I think they've a long way to go. Yeah, I think they've killed their cap as well. Like overpaying for Sandow, probably overpaid for Tonga, probably overpaid for Lussick. Like they're just, and it kills your depth. I mean, the more you pay for these guys at the top end, it, it, you're sacrificing at the back end. Yeah, unless you've got three out now superstars like Melbourne Storm, you just can't run your cap like that. Yeah, yeah and I think I've got to with Melo this year as well. They have paid so much to, to keep their stars, and they've lost all the. There's lots of Dean Vares and Liam Four, and all these players who are good enough. Of, you know, 14 to 25 in the top squad, who, who who always are required to come into the side. They've lost all that this year, man. And they're going to be playing a, a yeah, you know, they're going to be playing a, a lot of inexperience and, and probably not so not lots of good players. And, and like you say, how much money do they spend on Ben Roberts? Exactly, very much so. Uh, the one last thing I think we'd like to touch on, and something that every punter loves, is uh, what do you think your best bets for this year are? What are you liking? Uh, best bets this year, uh, look, I, I, I do love the Elsa Spring again. You can get eight bucks on the Elsa Spring. Um, I, I also think the Roosters are a bit of value for the uh, seven or eight bucks. Uh, um, the last, the last uh, season that uh, Sadie Williams, Luke O'Donnell, James Maloney and Michael James playing in first grade, their, their sides finished a combined 26 and 70, and no one finished higher than 14. So, yeah, everyone's kind of lauding them for their, their big, uh, their big, I don't know the rest of this year, but I'll be a bit surprised if they, if, if they go as well as people thinking at, you know, 7 and 18 bucks, they're a good day. Um, look, the, the, the Knights and the Broncos to finish top four and top, yeah, top eight, you can bring them in each when they make the eight. That's in the punter squad, isn't it? That's in the punter squad. Yeah, right? I almost fell over when I saw those stats. I thought I could, could have paid my house off if I knew those stats this time last year. Uh, look, it's, it's just, yeah, we're 9-4 last year in the run. Yeah. And, uh, every, every year, it'll just, it'll just go on. You know, there might be a bit of rain, uh, rain about this weekend. In Sydney, you know, there's going to be a few, uh, a few little wonders uh, best there, but uh, look, just better to have a season, Harris. <laughs> oh, well, massive thanks, Nick, for coming on the show, and uh, obviously we might have to get you back on sometime later in the year and keep you updated on what's going on. That'd be great, boys. Uh, I love the new podcast, and good luck with all this year, and, uh, and uh, I look forward to listening to you again. All right, no worries. Thanks a lot. That was Nick Tedeschi, ladies and gentlemen. So if you'd like some more insight into Nick Tedeschi, you can find him on his website, makingthenut.com. He's also on Twitter, at Nick Tedeschi. And if you want some extremely handy info for the upcoming season, and especially the betting info, uh, any good news agent should have the punter's guide to the 2013 NRL season by Nick Tedeschi. 
And as he also told us in the interview there about the Rugby League Almanac, you can only purchase that from the website, which is www.footyalmanac.com.au. Uh, it should pop up in Google if you have trouble spelling Almanac. But uh, yeah, that's all we have this week from Nick, and hopefully we'll have him on at some stage during the year. So from moving on from that, we'll be kicking off our previews. So here we are. Once again, a big thanks to Nick for his interview that we had. And I'm joined by Brock now. Brock, very exciting to have had some football to watch on the weekend. Yeah, it was excellent. Four games. Got to love it. Before he's back. The best thing in the world to have back on. But quickly kicking things off here. There's obviously been a big piece of news today, which is Ben Barber has been stood down indefinitely by the Bulldogs. Uh, there's not too much light that has been shed yet. Obviously, Todd Greenberg had a press conference and they haven't released too much. There's been a, a heap of speculation as to he's got gambling problems or drinking problems or and anger problems, but once again, that's all just speculation. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think the actions by the Bulldogs and obviously Barber himself going to Greenberg and sitting down and addressing the issue is probably the best thing long term. The Bulldogs handled it really well today. Todd Greenberg, um, you know, class act, and uh, they looked out for the best interests of their player. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't really care what the issues are with Ben Barber. Um, they're obviously not criminal issues, not a police matter. So I think, uh, obviously, until he's comfortable enough to come out and talk about it, then we should just uh, leave it as is and, and hopefully he can get on the field sooner rather than later. Well, as he came out and said today also, and I must give Greenberg a rap, I think he would have to be probably the best CEO in the game. He said it was easy to terminate him, but not the right thing to do by Ben and not like most people would probably sit back and say, oh, yeah, but the club's got their interest at heart and they're going to sweep it under the rug and not release it and fix things. But at the same time, we know it when you're a football player, you're also a human. And they're doing the right thing by Ben. Uh, like you said, there's been nothing police-wise and we don't need, we don't know anything, but I don't think anyone needs to know anything. I think they're entitled to their own lives and they should be applauded for what they've done. And uh, we've already put it on our Twitter page and I'm sure most people would agree. Uh, hopefully Ben sorts his issues out very soon and gets himself back on a football field because he's absolutely outstanding. But on the flip side of that, and a more important question that I want to tackle straight away, if Ben Barber is out for an extended period of time, or as they've speculated a couple of months already, and they're already missing James Graham for nine weeks, how does this affect the Bulldogs? Oh, it's a it's a big blow for them. Uh, obviously, you've got James Graham already out after he tried to chomp Billy Slater's ear off. <laughs> um, and then now Barber with this issue, obviously it's easy to speculate and say, well, we could be up for, you know, one week, two weeks, two months. Who knows? Like, I mean, it's obviously a big blow for Des Hazler and his football staff. Um, but, you know, oh, you're not really going to know until he comes back. And obviously who they move back there, that's that's probably a bigger question. Who do you think they'll move back there? Well, we had, we had this conversation this afternoon and we were more looking towards the importance of a fullback now being a ball player. And, you know, we, we look at the options, and I, I think Josh Morris is probably their best attacking option, but we don't think he has much of a ball-playing uh, ability. Obviously, Inu played one game for Parramatta, then played fullback for New Zealand. Yep. So he's probably the one in the forefront of your mind right now. They do have two younger fullbacks in Jared McCallum and Abu Sleeman from their 20s team, who did play New South Wales Cup a year up, but... In all the in strength to strength, to be able to have a, a decent NRL side and be solid, I think Inu right now is probably the only one who's played fullback and has the ball playing ability. 
being a former 5'8", to kind of slot in there. Whether he can do the same job, I don't think he can because we talked about how well Ben Barber moves laterally across the ground, which usually tears open the defense for either himself or Josh Morris. So I think you lose at least a try or two a game purely taking Ben Barber out of that attack. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'd move him back, bring young Lafayette probably into the centers. He looked good. Obviously, he had, he's had his injury concerns over the last sort of two years, but he looks promising. So hopefully he's over those and there's not too much of a disruption to the Bulldogs' side and, and obviously Ben can get back sooner rather than later. Most definitely. Well, moving on from that, we'll leave that one alone until something else comes out. And if not, like we said, best of luck to Ben and back sooner rather than later. But Isaac John, we had that last week from Mr. Gossip, obviously, joined on a one-year deal for the Panthers today. Do you see him being a factor or is he more there just for a bit of cover, do you think? Uh, I I think he'll definitely be a factor. Penrith obviously have their issues in the halves with the Lachlan Coote experiment, Luke Walsh's form. They've also got Blake Austin, who is a little bit uh, untried there. So um, they've got plenty of options. Obviously, he's a good young player. It was probably unfortunate for him to have to go to England and uh, not get a contract at the Warriors, but that was obviously in the crossover period between Ivan Cleary and uh, Brian McLennan. I'm sure if if Matty Elliott could have uh, Isaac John there, he'd he'd probably have him. So, um, I mean, it's a good buy for Penrith, I think. Yeah, well, I'm not 100% sure. My opinion on that one, I think that Austin more likely, or John will look at that seven jersey, and I think Walsh is on the way out the door. That's just my opinion. But other news, Papali obviously signed a three-year deal with Parra, but now we're hearing today that he doesn't have to confirm whether he's going there to round 13. Do you agree that that is something that should be in our game? Players sign a contract and then have the option to still stay at Canberra if they come up with more money, pretty much. These The rules are crap. That is a crap rule. That's just it's a It's an embarrassment to our game that... Parramatta come out and they announce a signing. The Parramatta fans get excited. And then you hear today that they basically should have said nothing because it means nothing, in essence. Um, so, I don't know. I, I don't understand the mentality of the player. Why sign a deal and then if you're not going to honour it? And that, that, that's kind of the, the side of it, though. We, we see that he has that option. Whether he will or not is a different story. But Well, if Canberra come up with the money, Well, I'm that's sure exactly what I was about to say. You, you think that Canberra now, knowing that he has signed with Parramatta, depending on the amount of money, will really want to keep a player of the standard of Josh Papali, who is probably looking to be a future origin player now that he's along with Queensland. So now players can just bluff by signing with someone else and then not they don't have to honour that deal? Well, that's the situation uh, uh, we're in. That's pretty much the way it was explained today. He has until round 13 to make a decision. So I don't really agree with it. But moving on from that, we'll have to wait and see. The last little bit of news we have is obviously Liam Fulton is re-signed for a three-year deal. A very loyal player. Someone who got moved on from the salary cap issues after the grand final to Huddersfield and came back and has seen his way through now to coach Mick Potter and signed a three-year deal. Definitely a very solid player for the Tigers. Yeah, he's a part of the heart and soul and the fabric of that club. So... No surprises there. He he would have um, obviously had interest from other other clubs, but he's a tiger through and through. And it's it's good to see players like that. They, I wish you know there was more at every club. Um, you know, one club players. Obviously, I know he moved over to England, but he only moved to England because he didn't want to play for another NRL club. Yeah, so he didn't have the good choice. To see. Didn't it's have the choice in that situation, did he? No, no. So. Uh, it's great to see him signed up at the Tigers and hopefully he'll see out his career there. Most definitely. I think he's a fantastic player. So Underrated. 
Oh, massively underrated. Very good versatility. So moving on to our trial results from the weekend, and obviously what a great weekend it was for anyone who had the, the Foxtel, or if not, you obviously got to see the Channel 9 game between the Storm and the Leeds Rhinos to just give you a little bit of a taste. But South and the Charity Shield prevailed 28-10 to 10 over the Dragons. The Roosters in their game against the Tigers come up 28-16. The Gold Coast Titans grabbed the 28-10 to 10 win over the Cowboys. The Parramatta Eels and the Penrith Panthers played out a 10-all draw in the Battle of the West Cup. The Sharks scored a last-minute try to win 22-16 over the Newcastle Knights. And the Raiders down in soggy old Goulburn had a 22-18 win over the Dogs. And the Broncos played the Warriors in Otago. It was 16-10 the way of the Warriors. And the only other game from the weekend, obviously Melbourne played for the World Club Challenge. They prevailed 18-14 over Leeds, so just having a quick run through some of those trials. Uh, the South-Dragons game, anything take you fancy? Any players stand out for you? Uh, I liked Ben Teo on the right edge for South. I think that's going to be good for him. Isaac Luke was, again, great. He's, uh, you know, if I was going to buy a hooker, I know people would probably say Smith and, and Farrah would be at the top of your list, but I, I really like what Luke brings to that side. I think he's been the difference since Michael Maguire's been there in that side turning around and hopefully can stay injury-free. Obviously, big GI, he looks fit. He looked dangerous again. Um, the Dragons, they, they didn't impress me. Um, their attack was pretty one-dimensional. I thought that Josh Drinkwater, he showed some good signs when he when he got on the field late in the game. Um, but obviously, for the Dragons, it's, it doesn't look great. It looks like they're in that sort of transition period, rebuilding period, whereas uh, South really looked like a side on the up. Yep, well, I said it to you on the weekend. I think the only real positives out of that game were Jack Stockwell, obviously the young under-20s prop who was awesome off the bench. He went really well. And uh, the other two that stood out to me, and they're both the young guys that I think they need to build the team around, is Trent Merrin. I thought he was good, at, really, really good at 13. And Mitchell Rain, who is getting scans on his shoulder. It's supposed to be just a burner. And uh, I think that's pretty much where they need to start there. I think they need to have... Rain and Mer- uh, Merrin, and they've obviously got Stockwell, so there's probably three good young players. And then I think you need to get Nightingale, Beal, and uh, Morris a lot more involved. I think they need to move forward from that and uh, start to rebuild that side. Uh, my thoughts on the Rabbitohs, very structured, but also some very free-flowing football. And I think that Michael McGuire, second year, and is definitely starting to put his uh, touch on that side. Uh, very impressed with GI, much like you said. Luke looked very sharp, and I think they're top four certainties. Mm. Yeah, yeah, as long as they stay injury-free, obviously. Most definitely. So on the next game, the Roosters and the Tigers, your thoughts on that one? Uh, the Roosters look good. Um, obviously, all their not all their stars, are everyone apart from um, SBW, got a run. Um, don't really know what to make of them. I, I saw the Tigers play the week before against Parramatta, and I thought the Tigers were much better on that occasion. Um, obviously, they were beating up on a on a Parramatta side who look like they're going to be lower end of the table again. So um, I, I think the best signing for the Roosters was the coach, Trent, uh, Trent Robinson. I think he's going to give them that stability. He's going to give them some structure, much like Michael McGuire has at South. Um, you know, obviously we're previewing the Roosters next week. Yep, next week. Um, so, you know, we'll give you our thoughts on, on them then. Um, but, yeah, I, I was impressed by him. I thought Luke O'Donnell probably... He looked a little bit underdone. Um, obviously, coming over from the from England to here, probably found him out a little bit. Pierce and Maloney. I think Maloney was a he was almost like a forgotten buy because he signed so early last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'll be good for them. Jennings looked okay. 
Um, yeah, they, they look pretty good all, all, you know, all over the field. I thought Minicello even surprised me. He looked uh, much better than he did last year in the trial the other night. He did um, surprise me. And I think uh, a big point to come out, I know there's 16 points from the Tigers. One was a late try and the other two were off kick. So I think the most impressive thing for me is Trent Robinson said they were going to work on their defence and I think they looked uh, much more reinvigorated. Uh, a bit more structure. They obviously made the most errors last year under Brian Smith, so he's addressed that. And I thought Maloney, like you said, he was the forgotten signing, but he was outstanding, along with uh, Sam Moore, who I thought was very good. Big only, boy. And he played one boy. NRL game before coming back from hole. And uh, Boyd Cordner, you just forget how young that bloke is, but he's been playing NRL for two years now. He's only 21 years old. Mm, he's a classy player. Very uh, classy player. I think a future New South Wales blue. And, yep. Uh, yeah, uh, Jennings... Not outstanding, but obviously solid. And Kenny Dow wasn't fantastic, but you still got to look at it that way. You've got Pierce and Maloney now, and they've got Jennings and uh, Kenny Dow to feed. They've got Jared Warrior Hargraves. Sam he looked Muller. bigger. Jared Warrior looked bigger. He did look bigger, <laughs> most definitely. We're forming the Jared Warrior fan club. He, he, looked, <laughs> he looked massive. Most definitely. So all positives from then. Uh, the Tigers, I know you said you seen them last week. I thought they looked... Uh, a bit disjointed. I think that they lacked in the front row, and that's probably because Galloway is probably the only big bop they had. They obviously missing Woods, who's got the knee issue at the moment. He's probably their best forward, Woods. He pretty pretty much, I think, he's another one who's going to get a Blues jersey in the future. What do you think of Pettibourne and uh, Bernard Thompson? Uh, Pettibourne, to be honest, I, I didn't say too much positive from him on the weekend. Um, he was kind of in and out. Bodine Thompson, I was very surprised he got a start, but then again, they did come out and say that Anasta and Molson, who did come off at half-time, both had gastro problems. Mm. Ashford ended up with a concussion and Lawrence with a shoulder injury. So yeah. it is only a trial. There was a lot of reshuffling. So I, I don't think we can read too far into that. I do think that Farrah, Marshall and Miller is pretty much locked in, but I'm not settled on Molson. I think Molson's got the first crack at the fullback jersey, but Mick Potter's come out himself today and said he's a fan of Tedesco. I, I'm, I myself am a very big fan. I think he's a lot more solid at fullback. Probably not as flashy as Molson, but I think if Molson's flat and makes errors and struggles like he did last year, that Tedesco could walk straight back in. Well, you had big raps on Tedesco last year, so and, I'm going yeah. to back your judgment on that, and I really hope he can stay injury-free this year and we get to see him play footy. Most definitely. And the last point I'd like to make, and I'm sure you only need to give one word for this, like I said, and that's Corabidi. Amazing. Yeah, he's a talent. He's, he's just hard to tackle. He's quick. He can move lateral. Ridiculous. Great acceleration. I, I I reckon, like, who was better at, at this point in their career, like Wendell Saylor or Marika Corabedia? They're very similar players. Like, he, he goes in and just does so much dirty work for the Tigers. I, you know, he took 20 taps. To he took 20 Wendell. taps in front of the front rows. Yeah. And on top of that, I, I know he that... Loves it. He looks like it's, like, the favourite part of his game. He, he looks, loves doing He it. looked bigger, too. He looked much bigger. And another thing I think I said to you the other day... I don't know if Arku's going to Rugby Union. They pretty much reckon it's signed, sealed, and delivered somewhere around 800. Yeah. But if he's going... Is he available for New South Wales? Well, that's what I was about to say. If if he's going and Corabidi wants to play for the Blues, I think that's almost a shoe-in. Who would you have on the wings if you had to pick the Blues-like side now? I'd have probably Awate and Corabidi. Yeah, I'd say, if we could have both of them, that'd be fantastic. But if Uwate's heading out the door, I definitely... I I almost booked Corabidi right now. I know that's a big statement, but if he's up for the Blues... that's not... I if think he's going to have 20 he's taps. outstanding. Imagine the workload. Well, that, 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 that kind of game, that kind of game suits Corabidi to a team. That's 20, 20 carries at Gallon doesn't have to. But have. he's not that one-sided winger. He's not Yamanu where he may be a bit slower, but he makes an impact. And he's not your smaller winger like a Brett Morris. Or who, he's not small, but he's more a speed demon. He's going to beat you. 
not only is he taking hit ups, but he's probably one of the quickest blokes in the field. He's also uh, so he he, he's, he's the hybrid winger. No, he doesn't. No, he's going. He is the modern hybrid winger. He is fast. He is strong. He is big, and he he's just got a motor. I reckon by the end of the year he could be the best winger in the comp. I'm pretty keen to say it now, and I, I know it's a pretty big statement because he's only played a limited amount of games, but if his attitude remains anything like it has been in his short time in the NRL, I think he's easily going to be the best winger by the end of this year, mm. by far. Yep. Uh, moving on from that, obviously, Titans, like we said, 28-10. We didn't see this game, but I heard that Albert Kelly was very impressive, and it looks like he's going to get first crack at the seven jumper, so uh, we both thought that Bo Henry would get a run, but... Albert Kelly did show some promise to the Sharks before he went off the rails. Obviously, it's tough to tell when you're not watching the games. I, I'm really excited that the Titans have won three trials, but you know we didn't get any competition points for them. So exactly, I really want to. Um, I really want to see that form obviously transfer into round one. It, it looks like uh, the Sharks are going to have a couple of key men out, so that may help us because it's it's a terrible place to try and win Shark Park. Most definitely. So, like you said, no one really seen those games. They weren't televised, so the limited information we had is obviously that... I'm hearing Greg Bird's going really well as well, which gives me hope. I, you know, if he's going to be a leader and really step up for us this year, um, that's definitely going to be a positive for us. I, I, like I said here before, I think the captaincy brings a bit more maturity, and obviously if he wants that role, he's got to be consistent at club, not just at the Blues level. And then the other two, your X-Factors are Taylor and Idris, so well, he's, we obviously need them to fall. He's one of the ones I've got to be male on here. They said he was ultra-aggressive on the weekend. Taylor? So that's obviously a positive, yeah. and also that David Mead looked very solid, so he may get a crack at that centre jumper. We're not too sure. Yeah. Uh, Cowboys, full strength besides Thurston, but obviously that's enough to leave you disjointed. Uh, Ray Thompson got his first run in the halves, since uh, being out last year, but I obviously think that Michael Morgan will did be playing play with seven. Yeah. They did play without so him. So you can might as well just take that trial and throw it in the bin if Pretty you're a much. Cowboys fan. The way I look at it is that the nine will be Scott Moore. Thompson will get the crack besides Louis. I think one of those two is going to be the bench hooker yep. for Moore, but I, I see Moore as more of a 60-minute player than a small contribution, and Morgan's going to get first crack at seven. So uh, Para Penrith, 10-all. You obviously went down to that game. I didn't see too much, but... From what you told me, there was obviously constant interchange and no one really established themselves or was on the field long enough to kind of stand out. On the Penrith side, it was definitely that was definitely the case. Mm-hmm. I think you um, said Seguiara was probably the only one that really caught your eye. He on. stood out. Ware struggled in the wet. It was just, it was an absolute bath. So, I mm-hmm. mean, you might as well take that trial and throw it in the bin as well. Paramount looked better than they did the week before. But I don't know whether the... Yeah, defensively and in offence, they looked a little bit better. The six for Parramatta, we think it was Jason uh, Weeby. Jason yeah. Weeby, um, he looked really good defensively. He was good. He gave them some variety in attack, which is really what they need. They need someone else to compliment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, Sandow, even Matty Keating, he he went all right. Like that's probably the best game I've seen him play in two years. Matty Keating, he got out of dummy half again. Whether the weather suited that, I'm not too sure. But for Penrith, for Penrith fans, um, I wouldn't be too worried about the result. I think that Ivan Cleary, going on what I, 
you know, my own opinion. I think Ivan would have taken last week's trial against the Warriors much more seriously than he did this weekend, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I don't know whether last weekend he sort of gave his best side a run, at, you know, after seeing the Warriors play, and then you look at the result that Penrith got against the Warriors. Obviously, the way that Penrith played on Saturday, if they were playing the Warriors, I would have thought they, they probably would have got spanked. So um, it just seemed that Ivan was just trying out different combinations. They didn't really throw on their strongest 13 at, at any stage. It was just in drips and drabs, players and here and there. So um, big Timmy Grant and uh, Sam McKendry were fiery. It was uh, almost a almost a blue in that match as well. So, but it, it was a scrappy affair. The weather affected it. So it, again, it's a trial. So we'll see what happens round one. But all things looking good for Penrith, I think. And Parramatta, they improve. So yep. hopefully they're on the up. Obviously they'll be reviewed on this episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Sharks twenty-two to sixteen over the Knights. I, I told you that I got the scoop on this one. Wright obviously scored a last-minute try. Degoyce was solid. Gardner scored on his return, and, and Townsend was uh, supposedly solid. I, I still toss the coin and say it's probably time to either go with him over Robson. Uh, Robson helped them get established last year and probably will get a start with uh, Todd Carney, not 100%, but I think long-term you're looking at uh, Carney and Townsend. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, Newcastle played full strength pretty much for the first half. Positive signs with Darius Boyd getting two try assists, hooking up with Kurt Gidley, but at half-time... Newcastle cleared the deck, so I, once again, I don't really think you can read too much into that result. No, it's a tough one. Uh, obviously, all things look good for both those sides. They, you know, it's a, it was a hotly contested game, so you think they're both, you know, sort of around the same level heading into the season, and probably where we expected them to be. Exactly, and uh, little little nibbles again that say Ty and Roberts played well, so I'm sticking by my prediction that if Jared Mullins not up to scratch, that. Uh, Roberts may find himself partnering Kurt Gidley. He's got the axe out. Oh, like on. I said, it's we do a podcast for a reason, have an opinion, and I may be a little bit cutthroat on a few players, but I think it's a big year for a couple of players, in particular two halfbacks being Luke Walsh and Jared Mullen. Yep, both Newcastle boys. That's it. And our last uh, trial result we had here was obviously the Raiders and the Dogs, which was an absolute mud bath in Goulburn. I don't think you can read too much into that either. Uh, got the word that McCrone was outstanding, led from the front. Uh, the Shandor Earl and Blake Ferguson combination put two tries on again, so that's obviously worked out really well from them. But the Bulldogs start off the first half. Morris, Ennis, Reynolds, Barber, really solid, put a couple of tries on, benched everyone at halftime. The only other real thing to come out of that with all the interchanges is that big David Clemmer, former Toyota Cup Player of the Year, who's probably going to get a run now with Graham out, was supposedly an absolute monster. So Good. It's a, he, he looks like one. He is a monster. He looks, like, he looks so, like he'd eat a whole box of wheat bix I think. And it's good to see some young forwards coming through the 20s. That's really encouraging. So hopefully that can continue. Uh, the Warriors and the Broncos obviously played 16-10. Uh, I thought we, we both watched this one. Uh, we watched it together. I, I was ranting on and off. Yeah, I was ranting and raving, though. I said it to you. Sam Rapira back healthy. Jacob Lilliman back healthy. And Ben Madalino, obviously a player of the year. There's nothing I love more as a former big boy than seeing a bunch of big boys just absolutely whack the crap out of a team. Yeah. And those three blokes were gangbusters on the weekend. I love watching a group of front mowers just trying to maul everybody. Yeah. I uh, actually Tom uh, Tom Lulawai, uh whacked Corey Parker. I thought that was a hit of the weekend. I thought that, that was a good in one. that game. Poor old Corey rattled his teeth. Well, I don't think either of us read too much into that one either. Uh, the Warriors probably were close to full strength, but 
Well, there was a little bit that we disagreed on in this game. I, I thought Scotty Prince looked all right. Um, yeah, obviously, I thought that all the halves were pretty. Great. I thought all the all the halves for Brisbane were pretty ordinary, and I, I said it to you that I regret putting him at tenth, to be honest. And I know I can't just judge off a trial, but yeah. from what was on the field, that there's not too much that's out or coming back. And I, I don't know. I just I just looked on the weekend. I know Thiday was a bit behind the wheel with the shoulder Rico, and so is Jack Reed, and that's obviously going to take time to get going. But Prince Wallace, I, I wasn't too impressed, and, and Norman didn't really take control either. So. There's a lot there to be left to be desired. I thought that Hodges was probably their best player, solid as always, set two tries up, and uh, probably Gillette and Parker. Yeah, if you're going to really analyse this game, Brisbane scored with 10 seconds to go, and the Warriors probably had four or five tries that should have been scored disallowed, or they just bombed chances. So it could have been a real blowout. Mm. The scoreline probably flatters Brisbane in the end. Like I said, there wasn't too much there, I think, for Brisbane besides Hodges and Gillette and Parker. I obviously love the three front rowers. You thought Sean Johnson played a good game. Yeah, I thought Simon Manning was good as well. Simon Manning. And I obviously was uh, getting off the couch every time Sebastian Icky Aifo ran the ball. He was uh, hitting and spinning like a running back in the NFL. It was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it was. It was, it was an entertaining game, but um, probably for the first half it was entertaining and the second half got a bit sloppy, but yeah. Last result to touch on, obviously one that I was very happy with, the Melbourne Storm, 18-14 over Leeds. You're obviously a, a big Sinfield fan, and I, I just thought I'd let oh, you I'm know a Leeds, I'm a Leeds fan. that I found a very good photo on Zero Tackle that was reposted from another website, which had a picture of Kevin Sinfield and it had missing above his head. Good. Last seen in the warm-up, found after the game. Oh, I, so. thought he was, I thought he was one of their better players. I thought he was disgraceful, to okay. be honest. I, I didn't see too much upside in them besides Callum Watkins. They look like... The English sides look like they play like mod football. They like they'll run a play, and, and then and then you just see Kevin Sinfield just run either one side of the ruck or the other, and just shout something out, and he just gets the ball and plays off the cuff. Whereas Melbourne are so methodical; they'll just once the kick goes in, they're so structured that they know what point they're hitting, they know what play they're going to have a crack, and and you know if it doesn't work, what they're doing next play. The, the, the difference in coaching and structure and tactical, tactical awareness is huge between the English and the, the Aussie sides. And the evener, the leveller, and why they will never change the way that the World Club Challenge is formatted at the moment, the leveller is the fact that Leeds are three weeks into their season. That's Melbourne's first real hit out in conditions that suit the Poms, and they still can't beat us. Mm, so, most definitely. I mean, for me, I, I go for Leeds, but as I said to you on the weekend, if... If they make the World Club Challenge, I support the Aussie team. I, I want to see the Aussie teams win, but um, I, I definitely don't think Kevin Sinfield is the best player in the world, but I do think he's the best player in England by a mile. So, I, I agree with you on that, but when I looked at that list, and I'm not going to blow up like everyone did saying, oh, the three Aussies deserved it, but you list those four names for the Golden Boot, Ben Barber, Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk, I think they all had much more significant I years agree. than him. But win, you've got to remember, it's, it's voted for and it's awarded in, in England. Yeah, I know. But he won the Super League and they played France in the Internationals. So what, what's that say? Oh, I'm, I'm that, not that, Those other two boys won. It's a slap prom. in the face for our competition. It really is. Yeah. It, it, big time. For but, the standard uh, of our competition. A quick run through. Obviously, we're not looking at Leeds. They've got nothing to do with our comp. But I thought Jesse Bromwich looked like he's finally big boy. reached that pinnacle, which is what we need as a front rower. Uh, Tohu Harris, who I've been raving on about for the last two years, played 80 minutes in his you first game. Boy. And he, uh, he played very good. Hoffman, solid. Kronk, Slater. What about the, that... The Cronk uh, to Slater with the Hoffman at the front. It, like it just 
decides not to watch video, or they just... It was Kevin Sinfield who got found out on that occasion. They do. But and they went bang out the back, bang out the back, bang out the back, and then whack. They hit the front man and go straight through. It's just... Well, that's all you know what they're going to dish out, but... That's all that needs to be said. We spoke about it before. Good sides will stick to what they do, and they don't. They play the same football until it works. And Melbourne will hit the back runner five times until you get comfortable with that, and then they'll drop the front man. Much the same Conk's as peripheral the vision, his ability to read what the defence is doing, and be able to hit both players, is an incredible skill. Like he's he's at a different standard to most halves in the in the competition. Most halves will go to the line and know what player they're hitting. Whereas Kronk goes up to the line with players all around him and just his peripheral vision is excellent. Most definitely. And I think we both agreed that I, I thought Gareth Widdock and Justin O'Neill definitely need to work on their defence. They were disgraceful on that edge. Gareth Widdock looked really out of sorts on the weekend. And for a bloke that grew up in the cold, O'Neal, he looked I like he didn't I want to get cold. I said to you, and, I, and I'll, I'll stick by this all season, sides that are willing to shift the ball early against Melbourne, they'll have success. Because Melbourne uh, obviously they've defend very compressed... And if, you know, Craig Bellamy would be probably open in saying, that's fine. Like, we're happy for you to string three passes together with defensive pressure and go around us rather than give you the middle of the field. Most definitely. You know, so but I think hopefully some NRL coaches, um, you know, get their kahunas out early in the season and take Melbourne on early in your set when, you, when they're, you're coming out of trouble and they're compressed in. Take them on. Well, you're better off because once you get down the red zone, you don't really score points. But it only it. takes one play. Like, Leeds showed that. Like, you know, bang, bang, hit an edge, go through, make half a break, play the ball quick. You're on top of them for the rest of the set. That's it. Well, obviously, like we said, Widop no nil, probably got a bit to work on. Bromwich outstanding. Harris's debut, good. Uh, I thought Fanua was good on the wing. Big three, pretty solid. We both thought Smith looked a, a bit slower, and uh, the other two that I was looking to were... He looked underdone, but that's to be expected. Yeah, well, he's had a long break. Yeah. But the other two I was looking for were Seto and Moores, obviously pickups for the bench, uh, limited time. <laughs> Won't read too much into that, but I think they may be a bit slow to start the competition off, but they showed in that game. Once it comes down to the dying stages and how to win a game, Melbourne know how to win a football game. Mm. Yeah. So brushing through all that, that's obviously... All of our trial results wrapped up, and we had the interview with Nick Tedeschi, and now we'll be jumping into our four teams to preview this week, starting off with the New Zealand Warriors. Starting things off with the New Zealand Warriors for our previews for 2013. Uh, Obviously, last year they finished up in 14th place, a very disappointing year on the back of a grand final run with Ivan Cleary. Uh, they changed coaches once he moved to Penrith to Brian McLennan, who was proven at international level, but obviously ended up getting sacked. So it wasn't exactly a great year for the New Zealand Warriors, Brock. Uh, last year was poor. Obviously, they, they went 0-8 to finish the season, which um, you know pretty much just tells you all you need to know about their season in 2012. Looking forward to this year, um, you know, They've got a, a couple of additions, obviously a change in the halves. Thomas Lulawai will come in. Nathan Friend, obviously under a bit of an injury cloud. Kevin Locke's form, he, he didn't finish the, the year off really well last year. So, I mean, obviously we, we just touched on that from the trials, that Rapira and Martellino looked good. Uh, so I think with Matteo Mannering and now Lowry, their forward pack looks fairly set as long as Nathan Friend can get back and, and play some good footy. Sean Johnson, uh, last year he was he was probably a little bit hot and cold. Didn't finish off the year that great. Seemed to suffer a little bit from that second-year syndrome we always seem to, to talk about. Manu didn't have his greatest year. 
Uh, obviously, Conrad Hurrell, he had an injury late in the year. They get Dane Nielsen, he'll stiffen them up a little bit in defence. So, I mean, they're one of these teams you just you just don't know with the Warriors. They could be top four if they click, and they could be bottom four if they produce the form they did last year. Most definitely. Well, some key points I had put down was, obviously, it was a hard year. McLennan got sacked. I said to you from the start that I didn't think he was going to last. I don't think he has... Uh, a very disciplined approach, and I think that Ivan Cleary did, and he had the respect of those players, and he really had a hold of that team. And what they were, he let them play loose football, but they had to earn their way first. I don't think McLennan put in anywhere near as much structure as what Cleary did. Well, Cleary had that side worked out, didn't he? And unfortunately for the Warriors franchise, just as they, you know, seemed to have everything sorted and they were on the right track, Cleary, unfortunately, yeah. went, went to, to Penrith. Penrith. Fortunately for us involved at Penrith, he's he's been excellent for our club, but obviously it's had its effect over it. New Zealand, and hopefully Matty Elliott um, can you know pick up the pieces and start to rebuild it. Well, other problems, obviously Johnson, good old second year syndrome. Uh, Rapier and Lilliman, I mentioned, were outstanding the other night. They were both injured last year, pretty much the whole year. Uh, Kevin Locke had disciplinary issues along with injuries, so they didn't really have him last year. Uh, I think this is something I said the other day. A big thing that a lot of people don't take into account that Aaron Heremeyer, I thought, was a big part of that run in the grand final and they didn't want him mid-year but he seemed to play establish himself and play his best football for the last you know probably 10 to 12 games and in the finals so that they made that decision on friend early that Heron might end up being a big factor I think and they missed him yeah definitely definitely and they sort of bought a hooker at a time when they didn't need one I mean they they had Heron there and then they paid big cash for friend so it's just I have this conversation with you you know, a lot of the time, and I sometimes question not who the clubs buy, but the positions in which they buy and the players they already have. Um, we've had this discussion with the Titans. We've had this discussion. We had this discussion over the weekend in regards to Josh Papali. I mean, he's a great player, but if I was Parramatta, I'd be looking for another half or I'd be looking for a hooker. Um, I think, you know, the Warriors fall into this category now that Friend's obviously injured. He's coming to the back end of his career, so... I mean, in a year or two, they're going to be stuck for a hooker when they could have had Heremiah for the next, you know, eight to ten years. Most definitely. Uh, obviously, we touched on the gains. We get Thomas Lillewire coming back from England, hasn't played in the NRL for donkey years. I can't even remember. I think it was He looked all right on the weekend, but he surprised me. He, he, you know, he looked a little bit thicker. Obviously, he's only a small build, so that's going to create some problems in their defence, having two small halves. But he, he looked all right. He surprised me. He did look all right. Dane Nielsen obviously comes in. That ties up a centre spot, which Ben Henry was in last year. Not a natural centre, but a good player. So Nielsen will add some starch there. And they get Todd Lowry, who I said to you the other night, he plays good second-phase football as well as tough football, but probably fits into their mould uh, as far as uh, playing a bit loose and getting the ball around. But he won't be chucking random offloads. He likes a bit of second phase and a bit of two-tip before the line. Well, he's going to be there. You know, Michael Luck, that's sort of trying to... Fill in his boots, and they're massive boots to fill over there, but he'll he'll be in the middle of the field, and he'll try and tighten it up for the Warriors. And that's the big thing we're going to move on to next, obviously, in the losses category. Lewis Brown moves to Penrith for an opportunity to play back row. He didn't really see that opportunity at the Warriors. Krizan Inu is a loss, but that was obviously a mid-year thing. Didn't work out there. Obviously doing very well at the Bulldogs now. Uh, Michael Lucky touched on. That's a huge one, but... At the same time, he wasn't there all last year. That that was very evident, but they've had plenty of time to kind of adjust. And uh, James Maloney, the one 
who really probably matters the most. They had a very solid halves pairing that took them to the grand final with him and Johnson. He moves on to the Roosters, and probably three notable juniors in Toka Likiliki, a beast in the under-20s. Now Wayne Bennett has picked up for Newcastle, whether he plays NRL yet to be seen, but a great impact player. Uh, Liggy Sow, a potential front row, gone to Manly, and Omar Slimeankle. I don't think that one is such a big loss when they've got Locke and Fisiahi. He moves on to play Japanese rugby. Mm. Well, Fisiahi's the one for me. I, I, if he can't get a run this year, I'll, I'll eat my hat. Um, I definitely think... He, he's, yeah, he's definitely... A, he should be playing in the NRL. He should be in a starting jersey for an NRL club. Well, I said it the other night. I think Tupo and Manu have areas in them, but Manu obviously looked a lot trimmer and added a sidestep in and looked pretty solid, so he looks like he solved his issues. But I think that you may have to think about replacing Tupo. He's a bit prone to error, not exactly the the, the fastest winger on the planet. He is quick for his size, but I think Fischiari probably gives you a bit of difference on the other side. Um, obviously... Elliot's the coach now. We spoke about this before. We, we've got mixed kind of opinions on Elliot. I thought, obviously, when he was in Canberra, that people had wraps on him. He was a fantastic coach. He was probably punching above his weight with the squad that he had to be making the eight every year. And when he went to Penrith, they had that one great year where they finished second. But besides that, we had the uh, hanging himself with the tie issue and obviously a bit of misuse of the salary cap, you could say, which has led to the situation that Penrith are in now, some would say. Look, I'll, I'll put a different spin on it. If Matty Elliott was coming to the Panthers now, under the new regime, new structure, I think it would be a totally different experience for him. I think Matty Elliott was just at Penrith at the wrong time. That's that's all I'll say. And um, Obviously, working under him and, and obviously seeing the sort of things he was doing at the club, I don't think he did anything wrong. Um, I think he probably inherited a culture um, that was a little bit lazy, a little bit poisonous, and... Obviously, Gus and Ivan have, have identified that and have sort of tried to rebuild the culture, I guess. So, I mean, a lot of people blame Elliot for the culture that was at Penrith. Um, whether he tried to change the environment and didn't get the support he needed, I think in the end, him and Gould, they parted on fairly good terms, which which is usually a sign that they found some common ground. So... Um, yeah, going over there, it's either going to be rocks or diamonds for him. We we heard when he signed that everyone was very disappointed that Tony Ira didn't get the job. All yep. the players were disappointed. So, you know, that's it's not a really nice place to go in and, and have that hanging over your head straight away. Um, but, I, I mean, the proof's going to be in the pudding. Matty Elliott's never won a finals game. So uh, it, it's a tough one. I, it's either going to be rocks or diamonds for me. I, I've got him at 12th. So I, I'm going to say that they're not they're not going to have a great year. But I don't think Matty Elliott will have a lot to do with that. I think if if the players in that squad can pull their finger out and produce their best form and find some consistency, they're going to be a threat. But if they're inconsistent and they lack effort and discipline like they did in their 0-8 run to finish last year, they're going to be down the bottom of the table. Well, I think they shedded some depth. They've obviously got the most ridiculously talented pool of junior players and there's Still a fair bit ready and waiting to go in CSE Tokiaho. Uh, obviously, spoke before, Hurrell moved up last year. Ben Henry's there now. John Palavi, another forward. They've just got an absolute abundance of these backline players ready to come through, even though they did shed some. Uh, I still think they're talent-ridden, especially in the forward area. Rapier are healthy with Madalino, who was the, probably the best front row in the comp last year with Lilliman. 
They've got three representative front rowers, plus Menering and Mateo. Uh, in that regard, I look at it and I'd rule Manu, Kevin Locke, Hurrell, Nielsen. It's a good back line. Johnson, who's going to partner him? We don't know. It might be Lulawai for a bit of balance. Will it be Tumavavo? We're not sure. When I say that, I am very impressed, but I think they're lacking a little bit of NRL depth now. Uh, I still think that they're a bit error-riddled, and they've also got a bit of a battle on their hands as far as Elliot winning the players over and Manu and Mateo off contract. I think it's going to be a very big year in that regard. People are looking to test out the salary cap now, and they're obviously looking to push for deals, so we're going to see how far the Warriors are willing to go. And uh, on that, you said 12th. I've got them... At 14th, I said to you just before we start this that I, I feel they're probably going to be closer to the bottom of the eight after watching them on the weekend. I think that uh, they showed a bit more promise, but I'm, I'm not going to go back on what I put in. I had 14th. I'll stick by that, but it really wouldn't surprise me if they were somewhere sniffing around the bottom of the eight. Yeah, I, I've, I've got them at 12th. Would I change it after watching the game on the weekend? Probably I might, I might have bumped them up a few spots, but um, I just think the teams in and around there, I don't think it'll be... Um, massive things that sort of, you know, differentiate where they finish. It'll, it'll be injuries. It'll be, you know, strength of schedule, losses to origin, you know, things like that that are gonna they're gonna differentiate where you finish. So you're either in the in the eight or you're out of the eight, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't have them in my eight. They're eight dollars for the spoon. I've had a lot of people try and tip me into the Warriors for the spoon this year. I can't see them getting the spoon, but I also can't see them making the eight. So I, there's no real value on the Warriors. Yeah, I'm with you there on that, but uh, on the on the the plus side of that, I think Sebastian Iki Aifo, the one I said he played a little bit at the back end of last year, Tumavave, uh, Hurrell, Henry, all these guys are good juniors. They're all going to get some more playing time. They're going to grow. I think they need to hold on to them. Rapier and Lilliman, if they stay healthy with Madalino and Mentoring and Mateo, who knows what could happen, especially if Johnson fires. But we've obviously got a question nine over the hooking spot with Friend being hurt and Elijah Taylor in there, I think that's an issue that has to be addressed. Uh, Manuel and Mateo, whether they stay or not, that's a big thing. But I think it's more depth than consistency. I think there's plenty of talent there, but it's just putting all the pieces together and finding a number nine, and I think long-term that the Warriors can be a title threat again. I think they're a young side on the up. Definitely. So moving on from that, Brock's obviously got them at 12th on his ladder. I've got them at 14th. Next team up that we'll be discussing is the North Queensland Cowboys. The North Queensland Cowboys obviously had a great 2012. They finished in fifth but fell short in the finals. Uh, We both thought that they looked really good in that game against Manly but obviously came up short in the second half and got romped. Uh, There was obviously the two issues. Like you said, the hand of God and another try that probably shouldn't have been given but that's football sometimes. You've got to make your own luck. Yep, I uh, I had them penciled into either them or Melbourne I was really keen on. Uh, Cowboys was was my second pick for the finals last year, and obviously uh, they got robbed. It did definitely get robbed. robbed. I thought, though, that of all the teams in that finals run that probably could have pulled an upset, I was with you. I thought if anyone was going to knock the Bulldogs or Melbourne off on their best day, especially after the way they beat Melbourne, probably only a couple of rounds out from the finals, I thought North Queensland were the team to do it. Well, but they got the they got the best half in the comp. Most so. definitely. And they've also got the best front row in the comp. Mm. They've got the international pairing, but... Yeah. Moving on from that, obviously the losses for this year, James Seguiaro probably the most significant with Aaron Payne retiring, so they're 
hooker rotation goes out the door. I said to you that I thought Aaron Payne was probably a bit past it as far as speed was concerned, but obviously still great delivery. And I was surprised they didn't try to hang on to Seguiara, but they've uh, obviously lost Moses Pengai as well. He's a young centre. Corey Patterson and Dane Hogan. So that not too much significance in the other losses bar those two hookers, which moves us on to the gains. They add what could be their new hooker rotation in Rory Cost, Jason, and Scott Moore, who was a former England international, obviously very sharp, and in the trials he's scored to try and set a few up, and much like an Aaron Payne when they made the grand final back in 05. So do you see Aaron Payne and Seguiara being a big loss, or do you think that Moore can take that role that Payne had, say, 2005, and Cost Jason can offer a little bit off the bench, or do you think Mitchell will be the one coming off the bench? Uh, I think Scotty Moore will start. Uh, and Rory Cross Jason will probably get the bench spot. He's he's proved in that role at Melbourne the last couple of years how versatile and how valuable he can be when um, players go down. So I, I just think it's going to be whether they can get a sort of fluency going that Payne and Thurston had. So whether Moore can establish that with Thurston, that's going to be a big factor in terms of uh, how they go this year. Most definitely. And before I talk about the other two gains, I must talk about the re-signings because as far as I'm concerned, these all tie in. Obviously, they re-sign Scott and Tarmow, the best two front rowers in the game. They want to keep playing with each other. You've obviously got Tarmalolo there, who's a very talented back row and an absolute baby. Tarek Sims back. Cooper. Dallas Johnson. They have a ridiculously talented forward pack. All different kinds of players which make up exactly what you need. Good interchange players. You've got Big Ashton, obviously, on the bench as well. Um, but the re-signings, like we said, this is obviously a key factor. They get Scott and Tarmow. They're both internationals and they're origin players. So their pay has to go up. Then you get Lynette, who comes off contract after a fantastic year. No surprises. He's only a young bloke, so they re-sign him. But with the money that's left over, they still have to fit in Matt Bowen, Brent Tate, and most importantly, Thurston. And the news we're getting is that Jonathan Thurston is virtually penciled in to stay there 100%. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm saying about these two other gains, Curtis Rona, very big defensive center from the Sydney Roosters under-20s, definitely someone I can see playing NRL, a big body. I think that he virtually is there to replace Brent Tate. I don't think they're going to be able to pay Brent Tate. And on the flip side of that, Clint Greenshield, it's a bonus pickup after a long stint in England fullback role. I'm not saying 100% that he's going to be the one to take the jersey from Matt Bowen, but with the way the cap's gone and the money they've had to outlay to re-sign those three players, I think they've only got enough money left to re-sign Thurston. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Okay, so you don't think they have enough money to re-sign Bowen? Well, if Thurston's after that million dollar kind of price range and you can think about the increase that not so much Scott would have got, but he would have asked a bit now with the cap up, Tarmow though, and Lynette would have you know had a decent increase. Yeah. They re-signed Tarmalolo and Sims the last couple of years. Winnerstein re-signs a three-year deal. Ash Graham, probably the most underrated backline player in the competition. You've, you've, the money's got to stop somewhere. Mm. Scott Moore's a former international hooker. Uh, I, I, the list just goes on and on. Dallas Johnson, Cooper. I, think that, I don't think they'll re-sign Brent Tate. I think Brent Tate will retire. I, I think Brent Tate will retire and or move on. That's what I'm saying. I think Roan is definitely there for that reason. If not, I think Winnerstein moves and Hopefully, in. Hopefully Brent can get a season in, injury-free, and finish up how he deserves to finish up. Most definitely. Because he's had a torrid run. Great so. player. But if Rona's not there to replace him, I think that Winnerstein, who's played centre at the Broncos, will take that role. And Fifi Lowe, who fell off the face of the planet after becoming an international, will take the wing. Mm. So I think that's pretty much certain. But 
you think they have enough money to re-sign Bowen if they keep Thurston? Because I definitely don't think they do. Even well, though he's, I, he's a bit like, older, but I still don't think they've got the room. Looking at this year, this is the biggest year in the North Queensland Cowboys franchise. This is it. This is it. This is the one. So um, before, obviously, we talk about next year, this is the year for them because they're going to lose one of those blue-chip players, um, if not two, um, because obviously I'd, I'd have Tate and, and Bowen in that category. You're going to lose one, if not two of them. You could potentially lose Thurston. If you lose Thurston, you're a bottom four side because you just lose your half. Exactly. You lose yeah, your yeah. playmaker. So, I mean, they've got to obviously bust their backside to keep Thurston, if that's possible. Um, and, yeah, this, this is the year for them. They've got to win it this year. I think going forward, they've got enough depth to be a premiership threat. But when you look at the side this year, you've got a formal international and origin player in Bowen. You've got Winnerstein and Graham on the wings. You've got a Kiwi international and a bloke that I think how he hasn't been looked at for origin is ridiculous. Ash Graham's probably one of the most underrated finishers and backline players in the comp. You've got Brent Tate, who's an origin international centre. Lynette, who's probably an up-and-comer who is underrated. Thurston's the best half in the world. They've got Ray Thompson, Louis and Morgan all vying for a half spot. Two of the best young halves in Morgan and Thompson. Moore's an international for England, a great young hooker. Tarmow and Scott, international and origin front rowers. Sims is a future one. Dallas Johnson's a form of origin player. Cooper, again, same deal. Gavin Cooper, one He's of the underrated. most underrated blokes. And then on the bench, you got Tamalolo, who's in the origin squad. You've got Scott Bolton, who was exactly. excellent. Um, obviously, last year, he was he was fairly poor. He had his problems, injury form. But before that, he was you know, one of the top 10 back rowers in the comp, probably. But when I run through that list to you, it just speaks of top four and yeah. grand final this year or bust, like, they're only going to lose probably Tate and Bowen, which is still significant, and obviously they still haven't locked well, Bowen's up. Bowen's huge. Like you know, it's Bowen. massive for that's Thurston huge, especially. That's his bread and butter. Yeah. But um, I, I look at that and everything I've just said, I think this is the time right now. Those two going, most people may say they can be replaced, but as far as the chemistry and the makeup of this side, this year you think would have to be the year for the Cowboys. Yeah. This has to be it. Well, that's right. They've got a great coach, um, very meticulous coach. My only areas of concern were obviously who will partner Thurston. Hopefully they, they've got to get someone that is there, going to be there consistently. Michael they can't Morgan. chop and change. Michael Morgan for me. I think, I think he did enough. They've chopped and changed, so they've got to pick and stick. Um, same with the nine. They're, they're, they're the two positions that I think will... Well, they're obviously going to have an impact on whether they can win the comp or not, but I think if they can get them right, they're, they're going to be right up there in that elite class of the dogs and the storm. Well, nine, I'm telling you right now, and I think you'd agree, they don't have a choice. They've bought Scott Moore. He's an international, but as far as what's left on the bench... Well, it depends whether he's going to share time, what sort of player. I don't, I don't know much about him, so... Well, um, are they going to have a, a bench hooker, or is he going to be an 80-minute player? I've watched him. I think he's fantastic. I think he's going to have a bench player, but I think they're only going to get 20 minutes, and that's the thing. Ant Mitchell, if Scott Moore goes down... Yeah, but see, I wouldn't. If, Mitchell's, if Mitchell's not a, on the bench. I wouldn't. I'd have Cross Jason before I'd have Mitchell. Because exactly. But I'd Cross have Jason Thompson cover the halves as well. I'd have Thompson before. I'd probably have either of them. I think Thompson. Yeah, I like Thompson. Is very left out in the dark after getting injured last year. And Michael Morgan obviously comes in a much flashier half, and I think he's definitely the one who's going to partner Thurston. But I still see Thompson being a factor, and I'd probably rather have him. Yeah. Even in front of Cross Jason again, who's been great. So. But well, out of all those, I think the only genuine eight-minute hooker they have is Moore. So Moore has to be healthy during the year. Otherwise, I think immediately that's probably the biggest thing that dashes their hopes. Yeah. They don't have another nine. And hopefully, obviously, Tarek Sims can say injury-free. Tal Malolo can come in. They're, you know, 
they've got some of the best young players in the competition along with the best player in the competition um, so they're on the up great coach I think they're great value at the top four at $2.50 for the premiership they're $11 minor premiership they're $10 so that, that's decent odds to win the comp $11 that's that's nice odds top four $2.50 I'd, I'd be having a crack at that I've got them finishing fourth well, that's the one for me I look at. I see the top four odds, and I think uh, that's just uh, too good to be true. And then over $2, I think that this just this squad has depth in every position bar the nine. Probably the nine's anything, but when you've got Thurston, I think that kind of makes up for it. They have the best half in the competition. It'd be much the same as... I'm not saying that Melbourne would go well without Cronk, but I think if you interchange Cronk or Smith to have a, a 7 or a 9 of that standard, you can kind of make up for one of those other positions a little bit. Well, that's obviously the difference between the Storm and the Cowboys. Mm. The Cowboys don't have a settled 9, Melbourne do. Mm. So if Melbourne can find a settled 9, a settled 6, which Melbourne have in Widdop, they're going to be up there in that class. Well, I've obviously put them at third place, so we're very similar there. I just think it, it's just Origin's too, going to hurt them, obviously. So. It will, but if they get through that and they don't have too many injuries, it's just too good to be true. The, the forwards are absolute guns. You've got Sims, Tamalolo, Johnson, Cooper. They're all different kind of players. They've got hole runners. They've got blokes that can offload, score tries. They've got youth. They've got experience, defensive grit. Uh, Lynette, I said to you last year, I thought showed again why he made that run with the Roosters to the grand final. A very yeah, he's, big he's a and solid center. Good attacking player. Underrated in attack, but a very solid defender. Yeah. Uh, Tate injury-free. Winner Stein, Bowen and Thurston getting up to their old tricks. And like you said, you haven't seen too much of Scott Moore. I've rated him from what I've seen in over in England, but it's obviously a different game. But he likes a high-paced game, and I think that suits the, uh, the NRL, and I think he'll be good for them, and especially in the way that Thurston likes to switch to both sides of the ruck. Yeah, but I think that it's the draw is going to put pressure on the Cowboys because um, their buys don't fall at ideal times. So they're obviously going to lose. There's going to be games there where they're not going to have Thurston. They're definitely not going to have Scott and Tarmow. So, I mean, that's going to have an effect. They have to finish top four. You have to finish top four if you're going to win the comp. No, I, I'd be very surprised if, with this new final system, anyone from outside the top four wins the competition. I think the AFL has proved that um, in the last 10 years. So, I mean, there, there is going to be some pressure there at some stage during the year when the Cowboys lose a couple in a row. There will be some pressure. They, they've got to finish top four. Well, to me, it's origin and injuries. The only thing that can stop them from doing that. And if they want to take an example off anyone, I think them and Souths in particular, who won't be affected as much by origin because they have a few more internationals, they have to look at what Melbourne seemed to do at the start of the year, which is get off to that solid start and pretty much establish yourself in that top four position so you can have a bit of a slump and then pick it back up at the back end of the year. I think this year, North Queensland virtually have to go the Melbourne model. They're very similar in the origin sense. They have to get off to a great start and be sitting in that top three, I think. Yeah. And in years time. gone by, they haven't done that. They haven't. They haven't done that. So I, I don't think they've quickly. been as well stacked as they are right now as far as... But they're usually slow starters, so... Mm. I don't think they can have an excuses this year. It's not the, oh, we've got a couple of good young players. Everyone's kind of had a couple of years now. There's nothing really brand new. Probably the only thing that's wet behind the years is the nine in more, but he did play internationals for England, so he can't be too far behind the eight ball as far as coming over here. Yep. But uh, you have that there right there. I've got him at third. Brock's got them at fourth. Uh, that one I don't think needs too much summarising. They're, they're an outstanding side, and this year if they're not somewhere around a grand final, they would definitely be disappointed. Agreed. So uh, moving on next to the Parramatta Eels. 
the wooden spoon, not exactly what any Parramatta fan would have been hoping for after coming 15th the year before and avoiding it in the last game from a Hain runaway try against the Gold Coast Titans. Stephen Kearney, obviously after two years, not getting the job done and being shown the door. Ricky Stewart comes in. A lot of questions to be asked whether he can turn it around. Uh, I think my opinion might may be along the line with most others that he's fantastic for origin time but probably a bit too extreme for club football and his record at the Roosters and Cronulla shows that he wasn't exactly the most productive attacking coach and that's definitely something they lack. So Brock, Parramatta, what are you, what are you thinking for 2013? Um, I don't think things are going to improve for Parramatta fans, unfortunately. Uh, Jared Hayne, he's hot and cold. Uh, Matty Keating, hot and cold. Chris Sandow, hot and cold. Willie Tonga had a season last year riddled with injury. They've lost Nathan Highmarsh. They haven't gained anyone who I think is of Highmarsh standard. They've lost Luke Burt, obviously, who did all their goal kicking. He's a quality finisher, even even though I think he's, he's obviously retired at the right time. So, I mean, there's, there's massive holes in a side that was a long last last year. And on top What's of that, coming in isn't getting me excited or isn't making me think that they're going to be able to, to jump up. Ricky Stewart, I mean... Parramatta's biggest mistake was probably letting Daniel Anderson go. They they were really, really quick to push him out the door. And I know he was probably one of the only coaches that's ever been at Parramatta and really gave it to Jared Hayne and, and told Jared to pull his head in and, and obviously criticised him and, and tried to discipline him. I think Stephen Kearney tried to hug Jared Hayne. It, it didn't work. So, I mean, you need to get the best out of him, whether Ricky can. Ricky's, Ricky's done that at origin level, so... You know, I'm going to wait and see on that, but Jared Haynes going to have to have a 2009 to uh, lift Parramatta out of the, uh, the cellar. On top of that, though, they don't have the side they had in 2009, so I'm with you. Uh, it may sound a bit ruthless, but I really think they are borderline a New South Wales Cup side playing in the NRL, how much depth they've lost. They've only gained Daniel Harrison from Manly, who's a solid player, but... You know, nothing to fly to your seat about. Uh, Darcy Lussick, I think they paid overs to get him for Manly, giving him massive raps as a front rower, but same deal again, not exactly outstanding. Uh, and Edwards, a player they picked up from the Queensland Cup, a young bloke who plays back row, front row. We don't know much about him, but nothing to really get excited about. And Ma'afu as well, another bloke from up in those kind of regions. Uh, not an established name, but High Marsh, the heart and soul is gone. Luke Burt. Casey Maguire was obviously a bit of a temporary, but nevertheless, uh, a pretty bit of a staple. Justin Paul was a big money signing that just never eventuated. Shane Shackleton came on big money from the Roosters, which never eventuated. Willie Tonga comes on big money, injured, hot and cold. Mm. And Justin Horro, who played his best football under Daniel Anderson, falls out of favour and now finds himself at Manly. So they have shed a lot of NRL depth for two edge NRL players and two blokes we've never even heard of. I think a massive loss for them has been Nathan Smith, busted jaw. So he's going to miss the first 10 weeks at least, I think they're, they're saying. So he looked like he could do something for Parramatta out of nine. Luke Kelly, he like in the obviously he pulled out of the weekend's trial the, the week before against Wes. He looked okay in six, but whether he's an elite, you know, high-quality half in the NRL... Consistent week to week is, is another thing. So there's just too many question marks on Parramatta. Can Chris Sandow fire? I think Steve Kearney bought Chris Sandow, who is the most unstructured player in the competition, and tried to put structure around him 
It just didn't work. So I'm, from what I've seen in Parramatta, of Parramatta in the last two weeks, it looks like Ricky's gone not as structured as, as Stephen Kearney, but it still it just doesn't look like it's going to suit Chris Sandow. So um, obviously John Lane gave Chris Sandow free reign and that was the year he really had his breakout year and obviously got this contract with Parramatta. So, uh, yeah, too many question marks on him. I'm a season ticket holder there, so I do hope the football that I see this year will, will be better than it has been the last couple of years, but um, I can't see it happening. Well, I've, like I said, obviously got Highmarsh down as the biggest thing. I don't think you can replace anything close. Even at the back end, he wasn't a great attacking player. He wasn't the fastest bloke, but he was still making 60 tackles. He was still the heart and soul. He was and he the was, fabric. He still chased down players that made breaks, even when they were getting beaten by 30. He was a genuine heart and soul of the Parramatta Eels, and he's gone now. Um, a lot of those other players probably does free some money up, but that's the other big problem. They've tried to sign just a massive list of players, and they can't seem to get anyone mm. to swing towards them. Matt Scott said no. James Tarmow said no. Uh, they've got Papali this week and announced it, and even Papali himself has said thank you to Canberra, but now we're hearing today he has until round 13 to decide. So you'd have to think in Papali's mind the only thing better about Parramatta compared to Canberra at this point in time as far as the club, the depth, and just in all facets is the money. All right, I'll make a few comments on Parramatta. I think Jake Maloney should be the fullback because from what I see of him, he's a real effort player. He's, he's, he gets back there, he picks the kicks up, he gets whacked, he's only little. He's a, he's a real gritty little player and, and if I was playing in a side with him and he's bringing the ball back, I'm feeling a bit of a responsibility to go back and help him out. Whereas I think if Hayne, Hayne to me just dawdles, picks the ball up. If I was running back and he's just given up 20 metres from dawdling, picking the ball up, running sideways, I'd be filthy. So I think... That's Hayne where to six. next though. So Hayne goes to six. I'd put Hayne at six because I think so he's, he's the most creative player. So he needs to get his hands on the ball more. He doesn't at one. But and can he, he, can he handle the defensive load? Because at the moment... Well, people, you can play him at six and defend, and, and defend him at one. Why can't you do that? But then you've got Mullaney up the line who's a much smaller well, put him body. put wing. So oh, oh, yeah, in right. all situations... There's ways to get around it. Push Chase Blair in. If he's going to play on a wing, Chase Blair could defend in the centres. There's a lot of compensation, I think, though. Just... But, but I'd rather do that than have Hayne at the back and just... I don't know. He He's not as effective there in, in the, the way that Parramatta's made up. Not you know? now, without all the offloading game they were playing before, which seemed to open things up for him. And obviously... But that was because Hayne had his hands on the ball. So I just think he's your best player... So he needs to be getting 50 touches a game. At the moment, he's not even getting 20 touches well, a game. But like any good fullback, when they made that run, the forwards were going forward. They were offloading the pill. They gave him space, and it made him a little more enthusiastic on kick returns because yeah. he wasn't getting whacked. But then again, but, what I'm saying to you is, okay, if you put him at one, the forwards are probably going, well, they're not getting that excited. I, I think if you put him at six, and the forwards can see that the dirty work they're doing is being, um, you know, there's, there's fruits from that. I think they'll they'll make more of an effort. They'll put in more of an effort. They'll see that there is going to be some reward for the, the bash and barge. Because if you're a Parramatta forward, it's been a really tough slog for the last three or four years. They've just got bashed and barged and, and whacked out of games. And their attacks just had no variation. So but that's for me, Hayne has to play six. He's your best player. My, my philosophy would be get the ball in the hands of your best player, put the game on him. That's why he's on the big bucks. And this is why I'm going to move on to next day. My biggest thing is getting forward is almost impossible when you don't have a good forward pack. And 
Well, Tim Manor and Fui Fui have got a really stamp their authority on this side. I thought they they probably shared the points with uh, Grant and McKendry on the weekend, which was a good sign because they're obviously Origin and an international. So that was good signs for for uh, Parramatta, but it's just producing that week to week. I think Rennie Matua has been good for them. Joseph Paulo seems to have a lot of errors in his game. Matty Ryan's going to be a high marsh type of player, but obviously he's unproven at that sort of quality. That level, obviously. Yeah, that level, yeah. I've got here my biggest thing, and I didn't even need to write too much down by the word depth. I just see a lack of depth. Yeah, there's not much in depth there. every position in in the back line. They obviously buy Tonga, and you've got Hayne. I agree with you. I do think Mulaney could play one, and he could go to six. But at the same time, I still think you have to try Kelly or Weeby because otherwise, you're pretty much just wasting them. And they need to plug holes in this. Well, if that was Weeby that played on the weekend. He's a good six. six. He was good. But you need to plug these gaps. Like Chase Blair, yeah, he went to Parramatta. He played last year, but I don't see him playing at any other NRL club as a centre or a winger. Um, Ken Seo was probably... See, Ryan Morgan's another one. He, I think um, he tries really hard, but he just doesn't not, seem to he's have not a lot of NRL standard, I think. I think him and Chase Blair... Uh, more of a New South Wales Cup standard, not quite up to the NRL. I think CO was a solid winger, solid first-grade winger, but a winger's not going to solve all your problems. Yep. Tonga had health issues. They buy Sandow, he's probably a standout player, but he's not in a team where he's got the tools to supply him with that. He's got himself, he's got Hayne, and they bought Tonga, but he wasn't on the field. Uh, and most importantly, the other thing I've got here, a number nine. They don't have a nine. A lot of clubs at least have someone who's, you know, of a substandard or, or, or offers something different. I'm not trying to be just an absolute rip on Parramatta, but I think Matt Keating is a very solid defensive player, but in attack, the only thing he seems to offer is an inside ball. Mm. Getting yeah, out, well, he, he turns better on inside. the weekend. I, he showed a few signs to me that um, maybe Ricky's sort of uh, developing his game a little bit, which is positive. But growing up, Matt was never a, he was never a nine. He was always a thirteen or a six. So and it just shows. find that a little bit. A little bit strange, but you know he's playing first grade. So and, and he's been in in the first grade side for a long time now. So um, they do need more out of the nine position. Most definitely. Well, I've got severely drained to me this first grade squad. I, I see a lot of weaknesses in all positions. Yeah, they've got Hayne, they've got Sandow. Uh, you've obviously got Moy Moy and Mena in the front row. You buy Lusick, I still think he's got a lot to prove. I think Matua's a gun, but he's obviously an older bloke now. He's not exactly in his 20s. He's borderline 30. Um, all good needs to step up. Daniel Harrison's moved over. He obviously needs to prove why they've put some money into him. Joseph Paulo's got to clean up his game. Uh, the 20s have produced next to nothing for them. It hasn't been really that fruitful. They've been disappointing the last couple of it's years. A tough situation for Parramatta. And the New South Wales Cup, like, the only person who really come out of that in the 20s was obviously Mulaney got a run last year, but they get him from the Tigers. And Lasala was their own junior, but he got flushed as well. So, Well, I see Parramatta as a as a Penrith from four years ago. I think Parramatta really need to bite the bullet. They need to do what Penrith's done since Gus has come in. They need to just go back to, to producing juniors, getting some juniors coming through their system. You know, It might be a, a short-term sacrifice. They might get the wooden spoon this year. They might get the wooden spoon next year. Short-term loss for a long-term gain just to rebuild this club. Don't look for the quick fix. And that's what I was going to move on to next. They're talking about the Papali situation. I think he's worth the money, but... but it's a quick a, fix. It's just yeah, but that's buying just someone because you can get him. He's, he's worthwhile, but he's just one backer up. That still doesn't fix it. The most important position we both agree is the nine. There's talk that Farrell wants to go there, but he's going to be on his last contract. 
the Tigers are going to get better. But Farrell would be good for, for Parramatta. He would be, but the Tigers are going to be able to throw more at him because they're going to get concessions in their salary cap for having him long term. So yeah. it's going to be easier for them. I think Parramatta... Well, it's going to be whether Farrell wants to go there. I don't think money's going to be the issue. Well, I think it, it always plays a part of it. I don't think anyone can say that. I think, what I'm, what I'm saying Parra is that Parramatta will overs. give him the money he wants. But they're going to have to pay overs. Well, that's I think fine. you'd agree with me. They pay they overs. Will. He's going to only be a couple of years and he's finished again. Yeah. I think they they can really destroy themselves if they go hard out for him, yeah. have Hopawade come but in I, next but year. I'd much rather see them buy Farah than Papali. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm, I'm on the opposite opinion. I, I'd rather have the nine there, but I still think they need a couple of quality players in and around the squad. And Papali's only 20 years old. That's a massive buy as far as I'm concerned. Farrah, like I said, I just feel they're going to... I think he's outstanding, and I think they do need him and they should get him, but I think they have to pay overs compared to the Tigers. My argument would be that Farrah is... He's elite, he's elite. He's proved he's elite. He's been consistent for years and years and years. Papali's had one good year. I'm not saying that he's going to go up in flames this year, but I'd rather buy the tried and tested, the veteran experience. You know what you're going to get, and he's in a position in which they need to improve. I think Parramatta could get away with not buying a back rower, um, but I don't think they can get away next year without buying a nine. Well, I think they're absolutely terrible in the forwards. They've got no punch, and I think that Papali's next to a necessity. If not, they need to go on the market for another forward. They need a hit we'll back. Get them both. They need a hit back rower, but I, I just feel that compared to Papali, they have to pay overs to get Farah. Farah is of that elite level that we speak of. That I think compared to the Tigers, who are going to have cap concessions, are not going to feel the pinch as much. That if they go for him, Papali. Hopawade comes onto the bill next year, obviously, so there's three big signings, but they still have Hain off contract too, so there's a lot there to think of. I think they could really... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 